Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking to Amanda Monty, author of the new book, Touched Out, which we'll be discussing today. Amanda has a PhD in literature and teaches writing at Stanford, plus a number of literary organizations. You can find her every week at her popular substack, Mad Woman, where Amanda writes about books and culture with a feminist lens. Amanda is also the mother of two children. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So Touched Out, it's one of those terms that like we all know what it means. Like, you know what it means when you see it, when you feel it, but let's really define it. What does it tend to mean in our society? Yeah, it's great. You know, actually writing this book too, I thought that sort of everybody knew this term, but I've found that some, especially non-parents are not as familiar with this term. (laughs) I think all moms know the term in their bones, even if they don't know that they know it. They're like touched out. I know exactly what you mean. Yes. And then you describe it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now I know what this is. Yes. So yeah, I mean, it really became this like commonly used term, I think, over the past decade. So I became a parent in 2015. And I started hearing this term. But it's kind of like, yes, it is this term that provides a lot of recognition, I think, for a lot of moms who feel sensory overwhelm, you know, who feel like their body has reached a limit. You know, there's often descriptions of like the kids tugging on them, you know, feeling like you want to jump out of your skin, crawling out of your skin, all the bad feelings about the skin, you know. But I think that when I learned this term, I felt like there was a kind of a lot missing there because in the mid 2010s, a lot of the discourse around this term was like, this is totally normal. It's totally just a part of becoming a mom. And that really did not sit well with me. <laughs> because it's an end. It's like a thought terminating thing, right? Like, yep, that's a thing. Now go deal with it. Right. And I think, you know, part of that was that there was this urge to sort of like destigmatize feeling this way. Right. Because as moms, like any negative feeling that we might have in parenting is something that we're taught to kind of secret away. Right. And so it makes sense that we were kind of trying to normalize this thing. Like, okay, yes, sometimes you are going to feel like you don't want to be touched by your children or your partner, which maybe we can get into as well, which is another layer to this term. But, you know, ultimately, yeah, we need to sort of move past that thought of why our mother's feeling this way. Right. And why have we come to accept it as just this sort of normal part of parenting? It's interesting because even in picking up this book, 
you know, I, I read the title and I was like, oh, it's like touched out. Like I'm picturing like, you know, a harried mom on the cover and it's like when I just can't stand it anymore. <laughs> and it's really not that kind of book at all. It's a deep work look at our relationship with our own bodies, the world's relationship with our bodies, our parents, our partners, other people's relationship with our bodies, that this is really much deeper than like, I just can't take it anymore. And that's kind of like what Amy said. It's not enough to just dismiss this term as like, I'm a hot mess mom and I'm touched out. It's not quite at that level. Totally. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's that assumption whenever you write like a quote unquote mom book, which is to say just like a book about motherhood, that it's going to be like, as I always think of it, like jazz hands, right? Like, okay, moms, like, let's talk about how we feel, you know, touched out. And it's really trivializing. And I think for me, I felt like this was a cultural phenomenon that we needed to take a little bit more Seriously. Because after the touched out thing, right, is the guilt that comes, the sort of second arrow of it all is, and I'm not supposed to feel this way, especially with our partners, that there's this shame that we're not going to be able to give 100% of ourselves and maybe the way we used to before we were breastfeeding six hours a day. But then we also feel bad about that, right? We're at the end of our rope and then we also like, ugh, but I really got to get it together. I feel like that's the hardest part of what's hard about this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a trivializing discourse that sort of hovers around this, but there's also a lot of what I found online, these really painful stories, you know, and usually there was like always kind of a common narrative, right? Of a mom, you know, staying home alone, taking care of her kids. And then at the end of the day, her partner comes home and she really wants to have nothing to do with him. (laughs) You know, usually it was sort of like hetero, cis hetero partnership. And that was also very troubling for me, right? Like, what is this sort of element of sexual duty that's factoring in? And as you said, Amy, like this feeling of shame around a pretty normal response to being touched all day by a child. So yeah, a lot of the book is also sort of digging into how can we look at this cultural phenomenon and connect it to a lot of what we've been talking about in feminist politics, you know, over the past decade or so, as far as male entitlement to women's bodies. It's deep in the like medical jargon or the medical starting point that like, okay, six weeks is when you can resume sexual activity because a doctor has looked at parts and pieces and said like, okay, everything's just about healed enough that it's a green light. And that's not the starting point for a lot of women. And it's just like this inherent thing of like, okay, you're good to go. So now you should be breastfeeding and not sleeping and also getting back to intimacy with your partner. And that is your baseline expectation when you wake up in the morning. Right. And also like the burning question that you have at six weeks, like when realistically, you know, we want to know how we're doing psychologically, emotionally, (laughs) physically, in other ways, like the centrality of you know, the sexual green light at six weeks is something, you know, tells us a lot about our culture. Right. Worth investigating. Yeah. Worth investigating for sure. And then there's like another part of this about being touched out that we actually just need physical space, a room of our own, right? And we all felt this much more, I think, during the pandemic, but it was an intensification of something was always there, right? The space that we exist in is not our own. Yeah. I mean, part of this sort of like touched out phenomenon is that 
you know, women are describing their body, you know, like a toy, like a snot rag, you know, it's just this thing to be used and sort of, you know, trampled on. And, you know, I write in the book about working at a in-home daycare. And what I learned there is that there's definitely a degree of, you know, filth and fluid <laughs> and, you know, fury, like just constant. <laughs> filth, fluid, and fury, the story of American daycares. <laughs> Alliteration. Yeah. Should have been the subtitle. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, caregiving is like, it's a very sensory physical experience, right? But when we're doing it all alone with no support, which of course is what was happening during the pandemic and which, you know, triggered a lot of memories of early parenthood for, you know, parents who had older kids at the time. When we're doing it all alone, of course, our body becomes this kind of tool. You know, there's nothing else around for kids to use. Right. So... And it's a play jungle gym, right? Like it's just a constant physical touch. The book is very personal, personal and full of personal stories. And I think one of the things that, you know, as I came in expecting kind of a different book, the idea that motherhood is a reckoning with our own bodies and our own history within our bodies is something that was kind of I mean, we read a lot of books and talk to a lot of people for this podcast, and it's been a while since I had a like falling from the horse, like, oh, kind of moment. And I think we talk a lot about the reckoning with how we were parented, the reckoning with maybe our own experience as children or watching our own parents in terms of parenting. But this reckoning with like the physical experiences of our body, can you talk a little bit about how you talk about that in the book? Because for me, it was very eye-opening. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, like I said, parenting is, you know, inherently physical, but the sort of like knockabout nature of American intensive parenting is keyed up, you know, so much. So it is really confronting, you know, to have your body, you know, tugged at constantly to, you know, have your, you know, naked body stared at, you know, by your children, especially if, those things have happened before, you know, with experiences with, you know, men or other, you know, sexual partners in ways that, you know, left a mark, you know, or caused you to feel like your sense of autonomy or consent were violated. And I think that that experience is pretty common for women. You know, we have like this very limited set of terms for talking about, you know, sexual violence, like rape, assault, harassment, like there's just like three levels, right? <laughs> but in reality, you know, we're catcalled, we're, you know, we're from a young age, if we're socialized as girls, we are taught that our bodies are objects for other people's pleasure. And so to get into a situation where then you're performing that as a parent, all that unresolved stuff tends to, or can really bubble up. And so for me, what that touched out feeling is, it's all that stuff sort of riling up and wait, am I allowed to say no? You know, like what have I ever been allowed to say no? <laughs> We're talking to Amanda Monty. Her new book is called Touched Out and we'll be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. 
Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. So Amanda, I did, there's a quote in the book that I saved to talk to you about because I thought, we never want to say, as we often do, like, if you feel touched out, then that's something for you to fix and deal with and change, right? That's not something for the world to, that's for you to figure out. But there are ways in which we contribute to this. And I'm quoting something from the book. You said, I still believed that laying myself down on the train tracks to be railroaded by my child or on the floor as train tracks so her daughter could run her caboose over my back was the best way to parent. 
it hadn't occurred to me to consider what other lessons I was teaching my daughter in the process. So let's talk about how we think like we are not only supposed to put up with this, but we're better if we are putting up with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I do talk a little bit about this sort of era of intensive parenting that, you know, we're living in, which again is another way in which we're sort of ramping up the pressure on mothers you know, psychologically, emotionally, you know, in terms of labor. And I write about really buying into that, you know, and feeling like I did have to make my body available to my child 24-7 for them to not be, I know I'm not supposed to curse, messed up, you know, (laughs) to not like, you know, irreparably damage them. I also write about being like really invested in attachment parenting, which is very like late 2010s. And and now, of course, we have like the sort of gentle parenting backlash that's happening. And I think that's not because we don't want to be gentle with our children or we don't want to give them everything that we have to give, right? But that it's all a little too much, right? And it's all putting pressure on mothers and not a community or another adult. And I think that we can explore how we are invested in those ideologies that say, you know, mothers are going to suffer for a couple years. They're going to give up their identity and everything that they believe in. And we can push back against that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we sometimes say it's like these simple ideas can be extremely radical. Like the idea that I feel like the imagery around this that we all see that I've never even really thought to question, which is like, you know, the mom with like, I mean, I've taken this picture for promos for the podcast, right? For my old blog. Like I got the baby on the hip and another one crawling into my face and the house is a mess. And well, this, you've never seen that image of a male ever, ever. I mean, try to think of an image of, you know, a man who's like, well, I had kids and now like my whole life is over and my everything's falling apart. And like, right, it's okay to have people crawling all over me all the time. And this is the new reality. This, It's so standard to what we believe about motherhood. It is. It's so central to the image of the American mom that it's hard to imagine something else. But I mean, if we just think about it for a minute, like, where is everybody else in this picture? Right. (laughs) It's just the mom. And literally, as you described it, right, like the kids descending on her, you know, and where is anyone else helping her, you know? And it does seem, I mean, it's as I think back, like it does seem historically that this is played out through history, right? That like I picture like a picture of an Irish mom in the 1800s. It's like, she's like feeding the cow and has the 10 kids all around. So it's not something that's like, where is it coming from? Is it layered on by society? Or is it just sort of, we think it's fundamental to the experience? I mean, I think both, you know, and at least like the (laughs) Irish mom with the cow is like outside, right? You know, it's usually when we get the American mom, she's like sitting on the couch, right? She's at home. Why is she trapped? (laughs) You know, why is she always trapped at home? Um, And I think that, yeah, it's a cultural image that just is sort of like self-perpetuating. It's definitely coming from our, you know, belief in sort of parenting expert advice, which is so all-consuming now that especially with the internet, you know, the amount of that advice that we're getting and the very American tendency to 
look to experts rather than to kind of look to our family systems or our communities or ourselves to explore how we might want to parent. Yeah. And I think, you know, as I explore in the book, I think we also need to situate the question of, you know, this sort of entitlement to women's work in the home next to a, this sort of broader exploration of male entitlement to women's bodies. Because it says a lot, right? That image of the mom, you know, being descended upon, right? About who we think women's bodies are for and what we think they're for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're young. I'm thinking about being, you know, a young woman, not having had kids yet, and you're getting catcalled every time you walk down the street. And now I'm a different age woman, having had a couple of kids, having a body that looks like I've had a couple of kids, and not getting catcalled, and then you feel bad about that, right? Like your body is for other people to use and judge, and and you are measuring yourself up to how well you're performing whatever part of that job you're supposed to be performing at that moment. Right, right. And usually the job is to, yeah, make yourself into an object for male consumption or, you know, to serve the nuclear family, which historically, you know, serves men and male power, you know, in the form of being a mom. Right. And that's supposed to be the sort of like ultimate, you know, self-actualization for women is to to be moms kind of serving the nuclear family. And, and if you ever question any of this, I think it's sort of put back on you like, well, if you didn't want to put up with this, what would you have kids for? Right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. You get to do both. You get to be a good parent and say some of this seems a little unfair. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I completely reject the idea that like critiquing you know, the institution of the the family or, you know, critiquing our cultural expectations of mothers or our political abandonment of mothers in terms of policy, you know, like paid leave and affordable childcare has really anything to do with our love for our children. You know, I think becoming more aware of the limits of my body and or just what I want, you know, my own desire, my own sense of self has made me such a better parent. And it shouldn't all be about that, right? It should also be about us as people, you know, women as people. But yeah, it only, you know, strengthens our our relationships when they feel more consensual and and caring. Right. And it's not like a zero sum game at some point. You know, it's like in the old it's like if you don't throw yourself on the funeral pyre, you don't love your husband enough. You don't throw yourself on this burning pile of debris. It doesn't mean you don't love your kids. <laughs> it means that like you have an autonomy from an autonomous place from which to love your kids, which I think that permission to find that space for yourself. And we did talk a lot about this in the pandemic in terms of like, you know, so many of our listeners were writing in and being like, I had one little sewing station, you know, that was my little special place. And it was like, throw that off the table. Now that's going to be the kid's <laughs> desk for home learning or whatever that it's not really a question of how much we want, we want to give and we want to give in love to kids. It's that we don't want to just take chunks of ourselves, right? And offer that to the world because that's the default. Yeah, totally. And I mean, sometimes like, you know, that's survival mode, right? Like you got to make space in the house where you can get it. I mean, another thing here too that I explore in the book is this question of choice, right? And I think people get really prickly when talking about choice. They really want to believe that either you have a choice or you don't have a choice, right? Are you saying that women don't have a choice? And so that, you know, to Amy's point is where this sort of weaponization of choice against 
women comes up, right? Oh, well, you chose to have a parent. You should have known this, right? Like if you're poor, that must have been a choice that you made, right? <laughs> if you, you know, if you don't have the resources to give yourself a sense of freedom and, you know, be a parent, well, you made that choice, right? It's on you. But that's just not how it works. <laughs> that's not how choice works. This is just coming from this very American sense of free will, right? That we just completely, you know, create our own destiny. Your destiny is in your own hands. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, we know that's not true. Like agency, choice, these things have always been conditioned along the lines of class and race and gender. And so there's ways that I've been able to like create agency in my life that other people might not, you know, and even people with an immense amount of privilege, they're still, you know, living under the influence of culture and politics and history, you know? (laughs) So I think it's worth us just exploring like choice as this more complex concept and agency as this more complex concept so that we can create spaces that do feel more consensual you know, to a range of people. And well, families. in part three, we always turn to solutions. So that's what we're going to talk about next. The solutions are not necessarily easy, but we will be back to discuss them. We're talking to Amanda Monti, the author of Touched Out. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence Whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. Okay. So we've had the scales fall from our eyes. We see that like, oh, this default of like, this is just our destiny as moms is maybe something worth 
questioning and finding some more autonomy for ourselves and changing our stories around this. How do you start to find, as Amy likes to say, some of this stuff feels so deeply baked in the cake. Like, How are we disentangling ourselves personally from this? And then maybe how connected to that is untangling it on a societal level? Yeah. I mean, I think it is deeply baked into the cake that we're all eating every day. So it is tricky. And, you know, I, my background is in narrative and literature. Like, so this book is, yeah, it's not that like, hee hee, here's the problem. And here's my solution. You know, that right. you, here's your eight point plan for not. Yeah. You got it for 27 bucks. <laughs> being crushed by the patriarchy anymore. <laughs> Amanda, actually, you actually said in one of your interviews, I thought it was with Anne Helen Peterson. You said that you got to the end of the book and you're like, hmm, like a really good ending would be if I like sailed away on a boat, but I'm not going to do that. So like, what's the ending here? Totally. And that's like, I mean, I think that's kind of a, you know, a trend now in the genre too of like women blowing up their lives, which is like, great. I mean, I'm all for it. Right. But also that's not necessary. Right. Right. For some people it is. Right. Yeah. So I was like really resistant to providing any sort of like false solutions here. But I do talk in the book about, you know, bringing men into childcare. And this is something that historically, like, you know, has not happened globally. And so I think it's interesting, curious that like, we're not talking more about this. Yes, there is a great conversation happening now around bringing men into the work that happens inside the home. But, you know, over 90% of childcare providers are women. Half of them are women of color. I think we really need, that's kind of like the next frontier, right? Is really digging into why are men not in professional childcare. But I think on sort of the more individual level, acknowledging that yes, we're always told, you know, to fix it ourselves, that, you know, we're going to fix, you know, living under the thumb of patriarchy in our homes. For me as a parent, passing on a language of consent and autonomy to my kids is crucially important. It's like the path from which all others diverge. You know, if I can teach them to respect other people's bodies, that's great. I won parenting. <laughs> how do you go book. about modeling that? Give us an example of how you might talk about that with your kids. And how old are your children too? I mean, my kids are five, almost six and eight. So... Yeah, I mean, we talk about bodies all the time. You know, we talk about, you know, not commenting on other people's bodies. We talk about asking before, you know, the basic stuff, asking before hugs and touch. And, you know, as they get older, you know, these conversations get increasingly complicated. But, you know, as I write in the book, like I started with the wry parenting stuff of I'm going to pick you up now. Here is what we're doing, right? And then as they get bigger, it gets more complicated. But I, you know, I also model that like I have a sense of autonomy, right? I need space, you know, mommy's body needs a little break right now. And I don't really carry guilt around that anymore because I know that it's teaching them a really valuable lesson about their own bodies. You know, I think another sort of main question in this book is how do we separate ourselves from, you know, the institution of motherhood using Adrian Rich's terms, which is like all this stuff that we've been talking about, all these expectations and assumptions, uh, you know, all this sort of history that we're, you know, kind of mired in. And I think we can't, like, we can't completely remove ourselves from this world, but we can continue to ask, why am I doing this? 
you know? Why do I feel like I need to let my kid jump on my face right now? <laughs> you know, why am I feeling like really frustrated and, and itchy? You know, what is it that maybe I need? And just to sort of get curious about why we're doing the things that we're doing. Is it a cultural compulsion? Is it that image of the mom that we think we need to play out? Or is it something we really want? You put out in the book that maternal touch aversion is has been studied a little, but not that much. There hasn't been that much on it. Do you think that that's a, a shortcoming of the scientific community? Or do you think because in the end, it is more metaphorical than, you know, this amount of touch is acceptable, and then this is too much? Oh, for sure. I think it's a deficit in the research. Yeah. I mean, there's very minimal research on postpartum mental health in general, you know, and so we definitely, you know, need more of that. I mean, there's, you know, resources allocated for women's mental health in general, or even physical health is disappointing, (laughs) to say the least, right? But that doesn't mean that like, you know, women aren't having these experiences. And that they're not worth digging into both how we talk about them, but also, you know, like a, the metaphor of feeling touched out can also be like a lived experience, you know, like, wow, I really feel like my body's being used as an object that can be really triggering because we felt that before. So, yeah. Yeah. It seems to me like the, naming of it just for people and for moms in our audience is the most useful part of the exercise. Like, this is not just like, you're touched out, go get a manicure, you need self care. Like, we're not having the discussion on the level of like, here's your eight point plan. It's really a deeper dive into like, the way we have lived in our bodies is coming into a reckoning in this motherhood and trying to be a spouse and a partner and a sexual partner and a mother all at the same time. And that that feeling is very deeply valid. It's not just valid in terms of like, and here's the four point plan to fix it. That like, this is something that's real. I feel like it's 90% of the battle. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, yes, it is like a normal reaction but it's not a feeling that we have to allow ourselves to have all the time. And, you know, for me, the better question is, what has been my relationship in my body with consent? You know, what's been my relationship with desire and and my own wants and needs? And and what is my relationship right now? You know, and, and do I maybe need to sit with those questions and see why motherhood is bringing all this stuff up. I love the term reckoning. Yeah, because it is this sort of, wait a minute. (laughs) Right. And what's been my relationship with sublimating my own needs for the needs of other people who want access to my body? That is a question that I think in all the questions we have talked about in the many years of doing this, that like we have not really had a discussion around that. And it's very eye-opening, I think. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, mothers should belong to themselves right? And there's this interesting, I wrote a piece for the New York Times about like, who does a mother's body belong to, you know, and being pregnant and realizing it felt like it belonged to strangers who were like telling me how to eat and like, what I shouldn't be buying at the grocery store, you know, and then having kids, you have people commenting on what you're doing and or wearing or whatever. But, you know, I think mother's 
bodies should belong to themselves, you know, and that doesn't mean that we can't also feel a sense of like, you know, that sort of like loving belonging with our children and our families and our communities. But I think that those experiences are richer when we also feel like our bodies belong to us. You made a beautiful point in the book, and I'm going to paraphrase it now. I can't remember the exact phrasing, but it was about how love is truly love when it's consensual. That's when it's truly felt, when it's freely given. I thought, right, that's it. Yeah, totally. And I think this book is a lot about love. It's about looking at our children and realizing there's like a barrier coming up here within me, but it doesn't feel like it has anything to do with them, you know, with with the kids. And so allowing us ourselves to sort of explore what are those barriers that are coming up and purge them to an extent, you know, allows us to, yeah, create this more consensual form of love, you know, and not trying to romanticize it too much. Of course, like I said, not all of us have the choice to slow down, take a beat, do all this like hard internal work, right? Some folks are just working and trying to put dinner on the table, but we would hope that, you know, everyone could have access to this kind of important reflection, you know, on their bodies and and being validated, right? This is, it's such a beautiful book because it's such a skillful combination of really personal memoir and really hard hitting research. And it's such an eye opening read, as you said, Margaret, I really enjoyed this book. Amanda Monty's book is called Touched Out. Amanda, tell us where our listeners can find more about you and what you're working on. Yeah, you can find the book everywhere. I just finished my book tour. So I am like totally burnt out, going <laughs> to reconnect with my body now. Talked out. <laughs> book toured out. <laughs> talked out. Yeah, talked out. Actually really excited to snuggle with my kids because I've been spending so much time away from them. But you can find me, yeah, at my newsletter, Mad Woman on Substack. I've been actually really enjoying digging in there since the book tour. And yeah, I'm always teaching. You can find me on Instagram, not on Twitter. I am over it. (laughs) (laughs) Twittered out. (laughs) Yeah, but you can find me at Instagram uh, at A-M-O-N-T-E-I. Thanks so much for talking to us today. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Amanda. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now, Blair and Molly are back 
with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life stucks.